Hey guys, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're going to continue our study on the book of John by attempting to answer the question, with all of the religions in the world, why should we believe in Jesus? Well, spoiler alert, the answer to that question comes down to an issue of faith. However, what if our faith seems to be in the wrong place? Well, join with me in today's message by turning in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 6, verses 22-40, for today's message is entitled, Right God, Wrong Religion. Well, before we begin, I just want to um, just apologize in advance. Um, I've been fighting a cold, and so I might be a little hard to understand. With, with that being said, um, I'm going to move on into the message. And uh, I just want to begin with a question today, and that is, um, with all the religions in the world, each one ex- uh, you know, claiming to have exclusive truth, have you ever thought about how arrogant it is to say that Christianity is the only true religion? You know, aren't each of the thousands of the religions in the world saying the same thing? Well, if so, then why should we believe in Jesus? With all the religions in the world, why should people be Christian? Anthropologists have given an estimate of religions in the world, roughly 4,200 different religions worldwide. Of the 4,200 religions, Christianity is only one. So why would someone become a Christian? Well, uh, research can show us that seven of the 7 billion people of the world, roughly 55% are Christian, Muslim, or Jewish. Over half the world's population only believes in one of three religions. Why is that important? Because Christianity, Islam, and Judaism were all founded by the same man in belief of the same God, Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah who were told they were going to have their son, have a son in their old age, didn't believe God. Sarah became impatient with God. She sent her handmaiden Hagar to sleep with Abraham, and, and uh, Hagar gave birth to the eldest son, Ishmael. Well, God delivered on his promise, and Sarah uh, gave birth to a son, Isaac. So Isaac and Ishmael, and if you know the story, Abraham ended up sending Ishmael and Hagar away. Now, God looked at uh, Isaac and, and in the Bible and... Um, uh, this is where the Jewish faith was started, that he gave him a promise. Uh, you know, God gave Abraham this promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And it is uh, the Jewish faith that believes that Isaac was that son of promise, not Ishmael. The Muslims, uh, however, believe that Ishmael, not Isaac, was the son that God blessed. Now again, if you were to look at the numbers, the results are pretty staggering. Um 6.5 million Jews are in the world today. Um, that's less than a ten thousandth of a percent of the world's population. Um, however, Muslims number 1.8 billion, the 23.2 percent of the world's population. So, which one did God bless again? Was it the Jews or the Muslims? Because there are far, far more Muslims than there are Jews. Now, you can see how it's easy for a Muslim to feel that their religion is correct. But if we were looking strictly at the numbers, Christians actually number 2.2 billion, making it the largest religion in the world. 31.5% of the world's population is a Christian. And you might think, aha, see, Christianity is the right religion because we have the most people. But before you start feeling all high and mighty, 
Inside the Christian religion, there are two major separations that we should probably talk about. The Catholic belief system, which is 1.2 billion, and then you have Protestants, which number about 1 billion. Are you really prepared to make the argument that Christian and Protest, or, sorry, Catholic and Protestant faith are the same? And you might think, well, you know, as Protestants, we still have a billion people. Well, that might be true, but there are some other divisions that you should think about within the Protestant faith. Denominations separate Protestant population even further. By the way, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons also claim to be Protestants, so they're included in that number. But if you're looking just as at Baptists worldwide, the number would fall around 40 million people worldwide. But there are some other divisions that you should probably know about. Not every Baptist believes the same thing. No, we have Missionary Baptists and Southern Baptists and Northern Baptists and Seventh-day Advent Baptists and Fundamental Baptists and Revivalist Baptists and Traditional Baptists and Orthodox and Evangelistical Baptists and Contemporary Baptists, and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, our church belongs to the Southern Baptist Convention, and the number falls to about 15 million believers, which consequently is... Um, still the number, uh, uh, twice the number of Jews in the world. Uh, I should say, incidentally, is the, is the number, or twice the number. So there are twice as many Baptists, uh, Southern Baptists in the world than there are Jews. I should give you some perspective. But are you really prepared to say that everyone in the Southern Baptist Church is really a believer? I mean, surely you know that there's going to be plenty of good Baptists in hell, right? But you know that, that number dilutes even further than that. How many of us would say, I'm not even a Baptist. I, I simply, I, I'm a follower of Jesus who goes to a Baptist church. You see, you, you, you can't base your faith off the number of believers there are in the world. That, that just doesn't work. Um, and, you know, just to, just to make my argument, make my point, if you actually were to look at who believes the, the same way that you do, and when you're trying to convert someone to be a Christian, I mean, it even gets, you know, the number gets diluted even further. Um, for example, my, my wife and I are almost identical in what we believe. But we don't agree about everything. So if you're looking for somebody that believes exactly the same way that you do, you should know the only person that believes the way that you do is you. And something else you probably should think about is that you are not right in everything that you believe. I know you believe that, but you're not. If you were, then you could stop studying Scripture. Every single one of us needs to be correct, corrected from Scripture. You will spend the rest of your life, if you're a Christian, studying Scripture, being corrected on what you believe and why you believe it. And we, we, we have to think about these sort of things whenever we start asking the questions with all the religions in the world, why would I want to be a Christian? If it sounds incredibly arrogant to say you need to be a Christian, you know, or, or to say that you know, my religion is the only religion, the right religion in the world, it's because it is an arrogant thing to say. However, you know, while I could think of nothing more offensive to say to a Muslim or a Jew that I'm sorry you have the right God but the wrong religion, Jesus didn't leave us any alternative. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man may come to the Father except through me. 
Now, I personally stand on the belief that if a man can raise himself from the dead, I'll believe anything he has to say. But did you know that it is possible for even Christians who simply go to a Baptist church to be guilty of the same thing? It is possible for us to have the right God, but the wrong religion too. Let me show you um, what I mean in today's text. I want to read John chapter 6, verses 22. We'll start with uh, verses 22 through 25. This is what it says. It says, On the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, it's possible for us as believers to have the right Jesus in the wrong place. Uh, in this passage, Jesus had just fed these people with bread from heaven. And this was a precursor to a greater lesson that he would teach the people, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But one second Jesus was feeding the people, doing an amazing miracle, where everyone was blown away, and the next minute he was gone. Now this is significant because they remembered seeing Jesus send his disciples away on the boat, and he went to a solitary place to pray. We see from another gospel that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had just been killed and that Jesus wanted to be alone. However, when the sun rises, Jesus is gone. In verses 24 through 25, it says, Once the crowd realized that Jesus nor his disciples were there, then they got in the boats and went to the other side of Capernaum. Uh, and, and, and they were searching for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they asked him, When did you get here? You see, sometimes Jesus isn't where we think he is. Sometimes Jesus is where we think he isn't. Sometimes Jesus is extremely unpredictable, which could lead us to wonder, how do we know that we are where Jesus is? After all, isn't that where we really want to be as believers? We want to be in his presence. We want to be wherever Jesus is. Well, let's consider some important questions before we move on. Is it possible, <coughs> is it possible to start a church under a Christian banner and the Holy Spirit not be there. Now, you don't really need the Holy Spirit to have a good church service. You don't believe me? It's true. All you really need to have a good church service, and I use air quotes there, is music that everybody likes, sung by talented musicians, and a charismatic speaker with a fun message. People who walk out saying, wow, that was a good church service. They usually say that because they had an enjoyable time, not because the Holy Spirit was working. See, to have a good church service, you can get by without the Holy Spirit if you had talented presenters. And many people wouldn't know the difference between talented presenters and the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you another question. Is it possible for an established church that had been closely on mission with Jesus years ago, a church that was on target, on mission, doing the things that Jesus commanded them to do, a church that, that went where, where Jesus commanded them to go, to all of a sudden look up and discover that Jesus isn't really with them anymore. Sure, it's possible. 
It happens to every it happens to every church at some point in their history. It has happened to us. This thing this this happens every single Sunday. Churches all across the world realize that we're not where we need to be because Jesus doesn't seem to be using us. And many churches die because they refuse to acknowledge that they, they can't live in the glory days and that the best days of following Christ aren't behind them, but lay in front of them. That they must repent and turn back to the Lord and, and get back on mission with the Lord. So how do we ensure that Jesus is with us, or rather, that we are where Jesus is? Did you notice that in this passage of Scripture that the genuine disciples of Jesus managed to stay where he was? Did you pick up on why? You see, these men weren't really interested in having all their needs met all the time. That in fact, these men, many of them fishermen, likely saw the weather and they understood that Jesus was sitting out ahead of himself. And they could have probably asked questions like, should we wait till morning, Jesus? And, and the water started to look a little choppy, Jesus. Maybe we should wait. But genuine disciples of Jesus simply obey. When he sends them out, they go. And what's really cool to note is that when Jesus sent them out, he essentially told them, you know, don't worry about finding me, just be obedient and I'll find you. So how do we ensure that we are where Jesus is? Well, I think we have to first see that our, our faith isn't a, a, a place and a time. Our, our, our Christian faith isn't a church service. We must see the Christian faith as a movement. And guess what? Movements move. If we refuse to move through maturity, through community service, through ministry to those around us, if we refuse to move through discipleship, then Jesus will leave us behind too. We will look up and say, where did Jesus go? We will have the right Jesus in the wrong place. And before I move to my next point, I just want to point out that many people have the right Jesus in the wrong place because Jesus never moves from their head to their heart. Believing in Jesus in their minds is an intellectual battle. They say they believe in Jesus, they believe he was born of a virgin, they believe he died on a cross for their sins, and then he rose from the dead three days later, but their belief never makes itself manifest in their heart. In other words, you never see any of their belief move into action. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. James said the only true religion, in James 127, he says, um, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So you see, it is possible to have the right Jesus in the wrong place, in more ways than one. I want to continue reading here. John chapter 26, verses 26 through 27. This is what he says. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You see, it is possible to have the right Jesus for the wrong reasons. In this passage, Jesus, Jesus he criticizes the men and women who found him in Capernaum by saying, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. In other words, he says, you guys didn't even know I was gone 
until you got hungry again. I wake up and said, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry. Hey, anybody seen Jesus around? So in short, these people just believed because they didn't want to worry about food anymore. Jesus can call it down from the sky. It's easy for him and easy for me, so why not? Did you know that when the Catholic Church was established through the Emperor Constantine that Christianity saw a huge flex of growth in a short amount of time? People started going to church. All of a sudden, Romans from all over, all over the world, they st- suddenly started going to church and saying that they were believers. Unfortunately, most weren't men who had surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Most were simply men looking to use religion as a mean to, means to gain prestige and comfort or even political votes, which is why you never really can trust a politician who stands and says, I'm a Christian, now vote for me. Self-centered motives can help drive us to church. It can happen to them. It can happen to us. We can say things like, God, if you just get me out of this financial strain, I promise you I will give you 10% from here on out. God, if you just help me out of the consequences of my past, I promise I'll be the best Christian I can possibly be. I'll even read my Bible every day. God, if you can just fix my marriage, I will go to church every Sunday and show my appreciation. Listen, everybody does it. Sometimes I only go because I like to eat and live indoors. You got me. I'm guilty. Everybody has a selfish reason reason to come closer to Christ. Could be because of guilt or pressure from family or pride or fear of damnation and hell. We're afraid of hell, so we turn to Jesus. Whatever wrong reasons we can find ourselves in for our faith in Christ, we have to see that Jesus doesn't condemn us for it, but instead leads us to understand that He is so much bigger than our physical needs, than our selfish motives. Jesus wants to cater to our spiritual needs. He says in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. You see, we spend so much of our lives working for things that don't really satisfy. They don't even last. This year, Aaron and I have been saving for a house. And we want it so badly that we can taste it. We're almost there. But if if something happens, and God comes in and suddenly wipes out our savings, Aaron and I have to keep in mind that a house is temporary. And our family and our church family are what really matter. We can't spend our lives worrying about things that don't really matter. Do you know what you were worried about 10 years ago? No? What about five? What about last year? Any idea? What were you worried about last year? Probably about this time. It's about Christmas presents, right? Money, 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 money. But do you remember specifically what you were worried about? What about last month or last week? What about yesterday? What were you worried about yesterday? I can't remember. It kind of gives us some perspective. Most of the things we labor for don't really matter in the long run of our lives. Which brings me to an interesting point I think Jesus is showing us in Scripture. And that is God is the one who truly reveals to us what our genuine needs are. God reveals our deep spiritual need for Him. And without Him, we will spend eternity in hell that we will be enemies with God. We are enemies with God without Christ. And that God is the one who reveals this truth to us. 
Jesus continues by saying, Don't work for these things. Work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He says, On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Every religion in the world is looking for God's seal of approval. Every religion in the world claims that it has the way to appease and even please God. Yet here is Jesus saying, I'm not working for God's approval. I've got it. I'm not telling you how you can, you can work for God's approval. I'm telling you how to get it today. Listen to how the people respond in verse 28. They said, I tell you the truth. He says, um, I'm sorry. Then they answered him or, or they asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign will you do that we may see so that we can believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who's giving you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of those whom he has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. I think Jesus is showing us, this passage is showing us, that it is possible to have the right Jesus but the wrong doctrine. Again, every single religion in the world seeks a way to answer the question, what must we do to please God? What must we do to do the work that God requires? What is unique about Christianity from every other religion in the world is the answer to that question. See, the answer is not, we'll say 25 Hail Marys. It's not, sit cross-legged in solemn meditation until you reach nirvana. It's not, make sacrifices to a statue. It's not, kill the infidels. It's not, keep the law. It's not, be baptized into our church. Jesus sends a very different message. He asks, do you want to know how to appease God? Would you like to know that God is satisfied and that you can live without fear of condemnation? I tell you the answer is this. Just believe. That's it, Jesus. That's it, John. Just believe in me. See, once we believe in Jesus, once we know him, we too have God's seal of approval. Notice the response of all those who love religion. They say, wait, Jesus, you're telling us all we have to do is believe? This is more than a deeply religious person can bear. We become married to this ritual and how to please God. And this is a salvation by works mentality. But Jesus offered something better. A belief system that was founded not on our works, but on God's grace. And if we believe Him, we will receive that grace. 
In verse 30, they ask, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Remember that these men and women had already seen Jesus feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with two fish and five loaves of bread. Their question of what will you do was more of a request for another miracle. They were essentially saying, is you're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to do better than bread from heaven. See, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. Why should we follow you? In the Old Testament, the Hebrews who had escaped captivity of Egypt, they were, they were going to starve to death, and so Moses prayed and bread fell from heaven. On the next day, people walked around inspecting and asking, what is it? What is it? Or manna in Hebrew. So manna means what is it? They didn't understand, so they just said, well, let's call it that, manna. Manna was a mystery food they did not have an explanation for. And their understanding of that source of food is that Moses gave it to them. But see, they have false doctrine, and Jesus corrects them on it. He says, I tell you, it wasn't Moses. It was God. And for the, the, the God is now giving you the same bread of life. What we, what, we, what we read about in Scripture is unfortunate. It, it is inevitable, though. It is a consequence of having the, the, the wrong doctrine. If we get Jesus right, but in all the wrong ways, we will inevitably, what happened to, happen, happen to them will happen to us as well, that we will put the wrong person on a pedestal. The Jews did this with Moses, which is why Jesus is correcting them. He says, it ain't Moses. It's not Moses who gave you the bread, but God. See, without Jesus, we will always put people on pedestals, and they will always disappoint us. Muslims lift up Muhammad. Jews lift up Moses. Catholics lift up the Pope. Mormons lift up Joseph Smith. Buddhists, they lift up the Dalai Lama. And someone might say, well, Christians, they lift up Jesus Christ. There is no difference. Well, to which I would respond, the difference is, is that none of these other men, not Moses, not Kat, the, the, the Pope, not Joseph Smith, not the Dalai Lama, not Muhammad, none of these other men defeated death and offer up a way of salvation. Yet Jesus defeated death and he gave us this message, believe in me and you will be saved. Did any of those men make a similar claim? Were any of these other men able to defeat death? Did any of these other men promise eternal life? You see, we have to be careful because what we believe about those we lift up on pedestals, it will lead to action, and it will lead to consequence. Did you know that the reason the United States chose to drop the atom bomb on Japan is because of the fight that was speculated to ensue? It was predicted to cost over 250,000 American lives in the first six weeks because every single Japanese man, woman, and child would have taken up arms to protect their emperor. And it wasn't because they thought he was a great guy, because, but because they saw him as divine. They saw him as their god. Which, ironically enough, for many people, the first time they ever heard the emperor speak was when he was surrendering to the United States. Could you imagine the first time you hear the voice of God in your life is to hear him say the words, well, guys, we're giving up. We must be careful on who we choose to lift up on that pedestal. Who is going to be the center of our worship system? You see, Jesus uses symbolism of bread from the Passover and the bread from heaven to teach these people something important. They say to Jesus, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus responded, I am that bread. 
I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus was telling these people you know, that, that manna, that, that mystery provision from heaven that you, you know happened, but you don't understand where it come from or even what it was. I am that mystery bread. Jesus is telling them, I, God is sending you deliverance through me. But the message was given and it wasn't received. Now, the beauty of Jesus is not only that he defeated death, but if you believe in him, you will defeat death too. Jesus says in verse 40, For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said that he wouldn't lose one person who placed their faith in him. Thus, anyone who can make a sincere commitment to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior is secure in God's promise of eternal life. Christ will not allow his people to be overcome by Satan and lose their salvation. Christians have the promise of eternal life. So everyone hearing the sound of my voice at this moment is receiving an invitation for belief. I am one of God's chosen to proclaim this message to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. It is a message that every single believer carries in their heart. It is a message that we carry to a world already full of religion. Now I want to close, but I want to ask a question before I do. Think about it. If you were the devil, and there was a message being spread around the world on how people could find life and peace with God, a message you couldn't interrupt and you couldn't stop, how would you choose to deal with it? Well, if I was the devil, I'll tell you how I'd deal with it. I'd simply send out similar messages from other sources. Every message leading to hopelessness so that people who are actually looking for hope, peace, and life will become discouraged and will give up beyond be ever being able to find it. Now, if that's what you would do if you were the devil, should it surprise us that there are thousands of religions in the world all claiming to have exclusive truth? Or should the numbers of religions sh simply show us that we're all part of a spiritual war that's going on all around us? And even in us. I closed this message by asking you to take your stand with Christ. Not because he's superior to all other religions. But because he is the only genuine article. He is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God. He is the Savior of the world. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.